from you and me until you use me up until you use me up my brother sit me right down and he talked to me Welcome back to The Real Voices of the Game. I'm Dave D'Agostino, joined here by our host and star of this show, Bob Schaefer. This is Touch Em All, episode 473 on our network. Before we bring Bob on and our special guest, you'll recognize this guest. He's been on, I believe he was our very first guest on the network way, way back when. We're on getting close to 500 episodes. We probably had about 10 subscribers the first time we had John Ted way back when. Now we're up to 70,000 subscribers. We're in this almost it's two amazing. years. It's amazing what you've done, Dave. It's amazing. So we're well, it's because we have great, great guys like Bob Schaefer, and we're always able to get great guests like yourself. And so we, uh, before we, before we get going here with the baseball talk, these these guys, I tell you what, take your legal pads out and pencils or pen, whatever you write with, iPads, I don't care. Take notes on this one because these guys are savants in the game. But first, I want to just thank Millions, our marketing partner. Their tagline will be in, in our show notes and also on social. Go to the Book Me app on on their their site, and you can advertise with us. Also, you can hire our guys out for speaking engagements. So advertisers, put your proposal in. I'll look at them same day. Uh, put proposals in to get our guys to speak in person or by computer. Also, the shop option. You can buy our merchandise, hoodies, T-shirts, or hats. Or you can bring our guys on for an experience is what I'm calling it. You can ask them a baseball question, um, legitimate baseball question. They'll answer you within 48 hours by email, video. Great way to get our, to know our hosts a little bit better. Also, Jaw Bats, first certifier, the latest certified bat, I should say, in Major League Baseball. RVG at checkout gets you a discount. My son Tanner's using his M110, righty and lefty. I got corrected on social media. I keep calling Tanner switch batter. Some guy told me it's switch hitter, and I told him what switch hitter means in my world. So we're going to stick with switch batter. And then uh, the, the, the kinetic arm, RVG DAG at checkout, capital RVG, capital D, small A, small G, gets you a discount on what we think is a device, a patented device really help with the rash of arm injuries out there, overload stress externally, or I'm sorry, offload stress externally, prevents arm lag. It's a multi-joint dynamic stabilizer, aids in deceleration. Also want to thank one-on-one, which is helping us with our production costs. Uh, It's a college pathway program for kids. Over the last four years, they've helped over 700 kids obtain scholarships in college to the tune of $540 million. Thank you to one-on-one. Look them up. I've got their Twitter link in our show notes. And then Monet, new hair product, um, I've been using it now for two weeks just to make sure it's safe for our guys, organic, natural. I'm very particular about my hair, Bob. I don't know about you, but uh, I like my hair. I want to keep it how it is, but I've been I've been enjoying this product. Uh, the one I'm using is called the Black Option. So I don't I don't know, but it's very healthy. My hair smells good. My wife seems to like it, which is important. And uh, my kids said it looks cool. So I'll go with that. That's about my that's about my uh, my level of acceptance need nowadays. My hair, my wife likes it. And my kids think it's it's cool. I'm good to go. But with that, Bob, welcome back to your show. All right. Thank you. And I thought I was on Ted's show, but I know Ted goes way back. It was a little bit farther back than me, but not much. But uh, I guess we have some things in common. And the fact he was a whole lot better player than I was. I never got to the big leagues. I played in minor leagues and I taught school for 12 years. And I got into baseball and managed, coached in minor leagues and then coached in big leagues and ran in minor leagues for the Red Sox. So I've done a lot of things. Recently, I've been a major league scout. Uh, special assistant to the general manager, which is a fancy name for a major league scout. And I just retired in November. They had helped retire, and I don't think they're going to hire me back anyway. But I said, uh, you know, 
I'm going to retire. Years, Bob? How many years, Bob? I have 44 years. Okay, I have 42. And oh, yeah, well. You're much more diversified than me. I spent most <laughs> of my time in player development, you know, at the lower levels, rookie leagues and A leagues and things like that. But uh, right. I loved it. I loved it. Let's make well, sure our, our audience knows we've got uh, our, our guest today, if you don't recognize the voices, Ted Kubiak, uh, former three back to back to back, right, Ted, world championships with the Oakland yeah. A's. Yeah. Shortstop, yeah. our very own. Jim Cott refers to you as, as slick. He said he used to bring his pitch fielders out there to watch you field infield practice. I watch this guy. He's got balance, rhythm, timing that we, we want as pitchers, um, but at the shortstop. So, but yeah, you guys have, you guys have, you guys have done a lot of similar things out there. And I thought, boy, what a great treat for our audience to have the both of you on, on, on Bob's show, obviously here uh, to talk a little baseball. And Ted, you, you were a minor league manager though as well. I managed for, actually I was a manager for, those 25 years, basically, I was a, I was the infield instructor and then the coordinator for the Indians for five years. Other than that, I was uh, managing at the lower levels, you know, for all that time. You know, I had over a thousand victories. Uh, so I was on the field a lot and loved managing. Loved it. Loved working with the younger kids and, and being on the field, being in the dugout. I know LaRusso told me that he just loved being in the dugout. That's why he went back to, with the White Sox. But, I certainly understand that. So that was my history. Yeah. What uh, now, Bob? You obviously you you're, you we talk all the time, and our audience knows you're big into player development. I throw this question out to both you guys, and and Bob, you can go first on this. How important nowadays with the reduction of the minor leagues, they're placing this heavy emphasis on the colleges now to be the player development people. How how important are guys like you? And I, I, you don't, I'm not saying that so you brag, but how important are guys like you with your mindset of, um, hey, we, these, we need to make these guys better? How important is the loss of that in minor league baseball? Well, it's very important. I mean, baseball is messed up. They eliminated a minor league team to save money, supposedly. Uh, it's the worst thing they could have done. Uh, I went into scouting for various reasons, but I basically felt myself as a field guy. I kind of missed the teaching and coaching and so forth, but I enjoyed scouting also. But uh, you know, what's happened to the game is a lot of new GMs come in that never played baseball, never coached baseball. They can read stats. They don't know too many people in baseball. Say, so hire these guys from driveline and some other places that, you know, they might know a little bit about the game, but they don't know what the game is all about. They may be able to teach it with different techniques, which is, you know, launch angle and stuff like that, which are wrong techniques, but uh, it's, it's changed. I mean, there's a lot of good baseball guys that have a lot of baseball left in them that are sitting home without a job. And I'm talking about guys that played in the big leagues, guys that played in the minor leagues, guys that coached in the minor leagues, guys that coached in the big leagues, and did a lot of things that they learned what the game was all about and how to play the game, not just how to create statistics. So I think the game is its really it's too bad because, uh, you know, the game's going to survive, of course. But, you know, when you go to game now, it's not like, uh, you know, what can this guy do to help a team win? Well, now it is how far he's hit the ball, what's his exit velocity, What's the pitcher's spin rate and stuff like that, which to me, you know, add up a little bit, but it's still like when I scouted, I looked at a player and I said, what can this guy do to help us win? And that's how I evaluate a player. Yeah. Now, Ted, we, we see a lot, we see a lot of I, what I think are elementary mistakes being made at the major league level. I'm sure those would get worked out in the minors if we had the system in place to yeah, do so. Kinds. I mean, unfortunately, it seems like, it seems like they're afraid to talk to players these days. They don't want to tell them anything. The players are taking over the game. They do whatever they want. And I, I'm not in the game now, but from what I hear from people that are connected, 
you know, they don't ask these guys to do anything anymore. They don't work. I mean, I've listened to, uh, you know, some young ladies actually talk about, you know, how you can train a guy better in the weight room than on the field. That doesn't make sense to me. You know, there's, there's no way that can be done. Yet they don't want to take anybody out and do any work. They're so paranoid about injuries that they don't, they don't get anything done. And they don't realize that what they're doing by pulling back on all of that work is perpetuating the injuries. I mean, you've got Trinell right. on now, you know, who's talking about, you know, the device that he, or rather all the pitching motions. I'm not a pitcher. I never was a pitcher. But I watch all these guys pitch now. You know, I don't know. I mean, I understand why they don't throw strikes. They don't use their legs. They don't use their lower half. It's all arm. There's no way you can control the ball that way. But that's what's happened. They don't want to listen to anybody anymore. You know, we just, we mentioned Mark Wiedemeyer like yourself, Bob. They don't want to listen to us. When I got, when I was let go, they didn't want to hear anything I had to say. I mean, I had a hard time in a meeting anyway trying to get a point across. So the game was totally different. Well, when I got first into coaching, I hung around the older guys, and that's how I learned. When I scouted the same thing, hung around the older scouts. But now there's no one to teach them because they're all gone. Basically, most of the older guys, they can't keep a job because once you get to a certain age or certain part in your contract, they get rid of you. So there's no one for young guys to learn from. And exactly. the problem with the game, too, is that the general managers come from a different school. They can evaluate uh, velocity, you know, off, you know uh, velocity off the bat. Um, all that stuff, but they can't evaluate what it takes to win a game. And yeah, therefore, they don't teach guys. Stuff helps anyway. All that analytical stuff to me, all it does is tell you what's happened. It doesn't tell you what you got to do in the future. You've got to have somebody to teach somebody to get that analytical stuff working anyway. So if you don't have any instructors, where, where do you go? What do you do? Right. You're I agree. Who, who are you at the mercy of? The player and what the player can do on his own or from experience. It, yeah. It's a shame what's happened. I, I, I'm, I'm so frustrated by the game. I don't even feel probably like you, Bob. I mean, I am so proud of the fact that I played in the game when I did in that era. You know, and you know what I'm talking about because it's just not it's not like that anymore. Well, my last year coaching was 2010, and we still had, you know, Larry Bo and I coached together. And Bo, you know, he told oh. how it is. I tell how it is. And I jumped the guy's ass one time because he was dog. Yeah, you wouldn't hustle after balls. Uh, you wouldn't back up second base on a stolen base. You know, once the ball's by the hitter and everything, and it cost mm-hmm. Russell Martin, you know, a few errors because he didn't get the ball in time, so the guy went to third base now. But little things like that, yeah. it just drives you crazy. And I used to jump this guy, and next thing I know, he says, what are you picking on me for? I said, I'm not picking on you. I'm just telling you, you're going to make you a better player. I said, uh, other guys on the other team were asking me, what's the matter with this guy? Yeah. And I just saw he got hired back by the Dodgers. I mean, this guy, was a, he was a detriment to the team. Uh, he might be a better kid now, but at that time he was, he didn't respect Joe Torrey and didn't, he didn't respect uh, Don Newcomb, who tried to get him hooked up with Willie Mays. He wouldn't even, he wouldn't even do that. So, I mean, that's what you're talking about. And, and it's getting worse and worse every year, I think. I mean, major league coaches are afraid to jump a guy's ass because they're afraid they're going to get fired. Player says, You're picking on me, calls his agent, agent calls the GM. Next thing you know, you're looking for a job. I know I was in trouble. I got let go from the Indians in 2014. And when I had a young 18-year-old kid come to me and tell me that he needed a day off, I knew we were in trouble. <laughs> you know, yeah. I couldn't believe the kid even came in to talk to me. But that's a shame. It, it's, it's, 
I don't know what to say about the game. It, it's, um, you know, I love the game, love the game of baseball, love watching it or whatever, but I can't stay with it too long anymore. Yeah. Well. so poor. You know, the infielding is so poor, and the broadcasters make excuses for why a play wasn't made. Balls hit too hard or it's too difficult to play. You're a major league infielder for one reason. There's no ball that can be hit hard enough that you can't field or catch. I mean, come on. Right. Well, I know Buck Schulte pretty well, and I read something about two months ago that he had some guy, I don't know, sleep coach or something, and came to me before the game and said, so-and-so can't play today. He said, why? He said, because he needs a day off. He said, why? Yeah. He had a triple and two doubles yesterday. He needs some rest. Yeah. And Buck said, are you kidding me? I mean, that's what the game's coming to. You hire these Jamokas that don't know what the hell they're doing because the guy ran, you know, around the bases two or three times. He can't play the next day. I mean, what the hell are you talking about? Well, they even schedule those days off now for these guys. They basically yeah. tell them, you're not playing today. Right. And this is guys off, I think. But I, I don't know the mentality. I don't know where this has come from. I don't understand it. You know, it just doesn't make sense. Because what have you ever heard your whole life? Hard work pays off. Exactly. Nobody works hard anymore. No. Nobody wants to do well, anything. You just have too many people in charge that don't know anything about baseball. They don't oh. know how to develop players. They don't know how to play the game. And all of a sudden, they get power. Yeah. They're trying to be a nice guy and you're destroying the game. Yeah. it's. I mean, I hate to be talking down about the game all, all the time like this or whatever, but it's just so prevalent. It's getting worse and worse. I mean, this situation out here, you know, with the Oakland A's and what they're doing with the team, I, I mean, they're just taking signs down now off the Coliseum. What are they doing to this game? I know. I don't get well, it. Well, I know you're a good infield guy, and I, I coach the infielders myself. And uh, a couple of years ago in spring training, I'm watching an infield coordinator in the minor leagues hitting ground balls with a pitching machine. And I almost puked right there. I said, yeah. you got to be kidding yeah. me. One thing I love those hit fungos, but, you know, the machine's not going to be the same as the guy hitting fungos. And, and even it falls off the bat are better than anything. But fungos, you can move them around. You can, you know, back spin it, top spin it. You do certain things with it to make the guy better. But these guys hit off a, a machine. I'm saying, you got to be kidding me. But a lot mm -hmm. of times, you know what, Ted? A lot of these coaches, they hire can't hit a fungal, believe it or not. <laughs> exactly, exactly. That's un-American right there, is it not? Yeah, I guess so. But I, one thing, I love to hit fungal. It hurt my shoulder. I couldn't throw BP to the end of my coaching career. But I could hit fungals all day, and I was pretty good at it. I used one of those long, skinny bats. And the only guy in the big leagues that used one of those at age 29 or what the hell it was. But, but I loved it. It was fun doing it. And, you know, it was fun to work a player out that way rather than, you know, hitting it with a machine. I used to hit pop-ups at infielders. You know, pop-up coverage. I went over. I could hit the infielders and pop-ups at infielders. Yeah. Now everything's machine. Let me ask you two guys this question. I my uh, I grew up playing for my dad, and even when I was playing professionally, he would go to games, and I could hear his coaching echoing in my ears. Wouldn't say a word, but the one thing he would get pissed off at me about was if I ever if I wasn't aggressive enough or anticipated enough to get to a baseball with two hands, and. Uh, he would preach to me, you know, and he'd say, he'd say curse word before it to get my attention. God damn it. You got two hands for a reason. Use them. And uh, yeah. so where do you guys stand on that as an infielder? I, I absolutely believe that you've got to teach somebody how to feel the ball with two hands. I played for 16 years. I only backhanded the ball when I had to go in the hole at short or when I maybe had to go beyond second base. I never backhanded anything else. I never barehanded anything else. I never, ever taught those plays to anybody in my 25 years as an infield coach. 
and it didn't keep anybody from getting in the big leagues. Fielding a routine ground ball, a simple routine ground ball, is the most difficult ground ball to field. It's the bane of most infielders, and it gives them the most trouble. And nobody knows how to talk about that. And I'll just give you a little synopsis. Dave knows this, Bob. I don't believe in drills. I don't think drills work. My method of teaching was teaching what an infielder had to do from the time the ball was hit to the time that he came in contact with the ball. Now, that's only a couple of seconds. But within that couple of seconds, there are all kinds of movements and maneuvers that have to take place. And unless, as an instructor, you can adapt those various movements to the individual athleticism of that particular player, you're not going to be able to teach that guy anything. The other thing I found out, too, is that anybody that has any major league infield ability is going to show that to you on day one. After that, you can help, you can adjust things, you can tweak things, but you may not get them to the big leagues because everybody's going to reach a level of the Peter principle. You know, you're going to reach a level of incompetence, and that's what happens. So it's very, very difficult to find anybody who can really play the infield in the big leagues, and there's a lot of guys up there now. You hear them complain all the time. They're, they're, they're just not that good, but that's where the game is. They become used to that. They've accepted it, and it's a shame because I think overall, I don't. Well, defense never gets the play that it should. I don't think. You know, you hear about it the playoffs. You hear about a World Series. Okay, it's pitching and defense. You know, but then it turns into home runs. But nobody wants to put any time in in defensive work because I don't think they believe they can improve anybody, and that is not the case. You know, it's just that hard to even teach somebody to pitch or hit. It's the same thing with infielders. you got to work guys out, and they don't know how good they can be. I always push my guys. I force them to do things. And young players like doing that. You know, they, they realize that you're really in their corner then, and they would do anything for you. I agree 100%. I mean, like you said, you feel both two hands. So two hands means you got to use your feet to get yourself in a position. Exactly. You feel it two-handed. But if you're lazy, your feet are lazy, now you're reaching for balls left, right, and same thing on the backhand. I mean, I see guys, we had an infield coach in my least tell guys, do the inside inside the body backhand. I never heard that that's before right. in my life. That's but, I mean, how the hell, backhands, that's a tough, backhand's tougher to catch than, than regular. Exactly. And you're going to make the game that much exactly. tougher. But move your feet and get your stuff and, you know, get your hands in front of you. And I always tell the guys, and George Kissel taught me a whole lot about baseball. Yep. He said, most infielders, when they make an error, they overcharge. In other words, they're feeling the ball on the move. Yeah, that's now, totally slow really important. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but you got to come under control. You know, I always say, line up just inside your, in your glove hand side and pick it up, bring it to your chest, your crow hop into the base and throw it. I see guys take two crow hops, they catch it, take two crow hops and throw it. And that's not the way to do it. Unless yeah. the first, unless the ball handcuffs you a little bit, then you got to take one to get under control, another one to throw. But you should be under control when you catch the ball, get to a point, come under control, pick it up, bring it to your chest, crow hop and throw. Exactly, exactly. I, mean, well, I, know, I know where you guys stand on this. Say, and you, you kind of touched on it, Bob and Ted. You, 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 uh, you mentioned it as well. But when I look all over social media, which is a bad place to look for for baseball, by the way, audience, and even. When I, you guys know my son Tanner and uh, my older son David, they're both middle infielders. Tanner catches as well. But when I turn them loose with somebody else, I mean, it came home the other day and it was like, yeah, they showed us 11 different ways to field a ground ball. 
I didn't even want to know what they were, but one of them was that inside backhand. And I never saw the backhand as premeditated. I always thought it was a reaction. Like you, yeah. you're overextended. Where would you guys stand on that? I agree. There's it's no a reaction. For, there's no need for a backhand play. Like I said, I never backhanded a ball. I played 10 years in the big leagues. I never, not one time, did I ever backhand the ball or barehand the ball. You can get to every ground ball to field it with two hands if you put the effort in. If you read it, you got to learn how to read swings, first of all, okay, because that will give you the ability to even move for the ball before the ball is even hit, if you get good enough at it. And I was able to do that. But the way they teach guys now, nobody's ever going to be able to move before the ball is hit because they got everybody hopping and jumping and leaping, and they think that's the quick way to move. It is not. You know, when you land on the ground, your body's going to freeze. So you, it's going to take you seconds to move. And seconds is what makes plays. You know, they're very important. So it's not that there's big movement that you have to make to make a change, but it can be so critical to catching a ball, to feeling the ball the right way. You know, you get on the internet sites now, and what do you see? Everybody's teaching backhand the ball, you know, barehand the ball. They don't know what else to teach. So they use all this stuff just to fill out their programs. And it is so frustrating. God, I can't, I can't stand looking at it anymore. I don't look at it. I don't want to look at that stuff yeah, anymore. It's just, I know. It's like, you know, I, I coached Frank White, or he was on a team when I was a coach. I didn't coach him because he didn't need any coaching. But he went into coaching after he retired as a player, and he taught uh, infielders to uh, push their hands forward to catch the ball. Well, you know, there's times you could do that to catch the trap hop. But in a normal hop, you got to take get your hands out, top of the triangle, Bring it out, you know, bring it toward your, your body as you're catching the ball. Right, but he right. taught guys to do it the other way. Now, he could do it that way, but you, you can't teach a guy to do it that way. No, you, you know what, Bob? There are so many things that are taught in these Internet sites that I think somebody just thinks it's a good idea because it mm. doesn't make sense. You know, one of the other things that bugs me is they teach guys to get on the right side of the ground ball and then move across it because it's you're moving towards first base better. That doesn't make sense to me. You know, it, you have to increase the, the precision of your timing and rhythm to do that. Why do that? You don't need to do it. Let the ball come directly to you. I know Dave knows this. I, I always taught my guys, you're going to move laterally first so that the ball's coming directly to you. You don't have to worry about charging it. If we do have to move forward, we're going to do it under control. We're going to be aggressive but we're going to control everything that we're doing. And when you are balanced properly and you have the right rhythm, making the play is easy. But nobody knows how to talk to anybody about any of that stuff anymore. They don't, they don't even know how to bring it up. I used to try to sit in meetings, and I mentioned before about teaching, teaching players how to move for a ball before it was hit. Whenever I started talking about that, they changed the subject. Oh, really? That's they nice. changed the subject. They didn't even ask well, me, well, could you explain that to us? No, they just went on to something else. Well, you watch a good infielder, and they can read the bat. And I always watch infielders when I was scouting and everything. If, if the guy swings and misses and the infielder's moving, you know he read the bat. In yeah. other words, the ball's inside, you see him spinning yeah. on it and maybe rolling over, yeah. he's going to hit it to your right side. And uh, a lot of guys are flat-footed. The guy yeah. swing and miss, he's flat-footed. So, yeah. I mean, he get no chance of getting a jump on the ball. Yeah. <clears throat> does that does that hurt the infielder's ability to move laterally 
to, to start when they do these. I see it on, it's almost like a choreographed ballet where they take their two steps. And again, maybe I'm uh, obtuse with this, but to me, an object in motion stays in motion. So I always wanted to have that little subtle, at least some heel toe movement, uh, but never that leave the ground and land on a hop. Cause one, I can't do anything in the air. And two, once I land, I got to start over. Um, where, where do you guys stand in that, in that little, I don't that's, that's little hop at all. I think it's a waste of time. I think an infielder needs to be stable. You know, once that batter starts to swing, because if I'm reading the pitches, right, if I'm reading the swing, I'm going to start leaning because I know where the catcher's set up. I know where that pitch is supposed to be. Now you, this all happens really quickly, okay? But you can tell what that batter is going to do with the ball. So you can be leaning one way or the other. And you know, Dave, I've talked to you that an infielder needs to be thinking laterally all the time. You've got to think about how much range you can, how much range you have, and how much ground you can cover. That's that's the thing that they've got a key up. But that little hop, there's nothing you can do off of that. It doesn't make sense. I agree. Another thing, another pet peeve. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, it's just taught all the time. I mean, you see it. You know, they even have they have videos on on the internet now where they, the way they're taking the video, they get almost all the infielders together, and they're so happy because they're all hopping and leaping at the same time, yeah. and landing on the ground at the same time. Well, that's stupid. Well, another pet peeve of mine is you see an infielder with his feet spread way apart. He's too wide. Yeah. When you get your motion, you got to overcome the center of gravity. So yeah. the wider you are, it's like you get a lot of, uh, you know, you got a lot of stability, but no agility. Right. And I think, uh, I remember like Brooks Robinson, he was probably the best. His feet was right together. No, yeah. I don't know about yeah. that, but everybody can do that. But you got to be at least shoulder width apart, not much wider. It's like leading off first base. I mean, you yeah. got a real wide stance, you know, you got to overcome. That center of gravity, which is the middle, so your left foot's got to go that much farther, and you're going to steal the base. So, you know, a lot of times they get too wide, and that's just a fundamental, you know, athletic position, I think. But I think a good instructor can see that, Bob. The, what you're dealing with is the individual athleticism of every player. So if I'm going to look at you as an infielder, I've got to adapt all of these same moves and same maneuvers that I want to teach to everybody but I have to adapt them to you. So it may mean that I'm going to have to put your feet a little farther apart. It may mean that I'm going to have to turn your feet a little bit. It may mean that I'm going to have to ask you to lean over a little bit more. Everybody does something different. Like you're saying, not everybody is as agile as everybody else. You know, not everybody is as flexible. You know, some guys can't bend over. I had a guy who was a pretty decent shortstop. He just couldn't, he couldn't get down in a triangular position. But he was so flexible from his waist, he could make up for it. it, it you just got to look at the individual. What about these, um, th- these drills I see all over the internet where, and again, not, I don't want to disparage anybody, but I know Ron Washington's developed a routine with his groups and everything's on the knees, the knees, the knees. And they're all looking at, as you mentioned, Bob, that kind of that push hop, that short hop. Now, to me, again, you guys tell me if I'm wrong. If you're relying on the short hop, that probably means you read something the wrong way, your feet are in position, or not in position, I should say. But uh, also that represents, or should represent, and I, I've asked infield instructors that do that, and they, the, the, the two that I pressed were honest. They said, eh, it's probably about 3% of the action. And I said, then why does your workouts represent 
Does that represent like 90% of your work if you're doing that? Is that important? Where, where do you guys stand on the on knees? They don't know what else to do. That's the problem. You know, anybody could do those drills, Dave. You and I have talked about this. You could take your wife out there and do the drills. You could take your mother out there and they can do the drills, but they're not going to be able to field the ball because they don't know how to maneuver. They don't know what to do. Being on your knees, why are why on your knees? You ever feel the ball on your knees? What do you do with your upper body at that same time? What are you teaching yourself? You've got to learn how to maneuver every part of your body the right way in order to field the ground ball. And every part of your body has, has something to do. Your head is extremely important. If you don't have your head in the play, you're not going to really be a good infielder. Your head and your hands should stay the same distance apart from each other from the time you leave, to, once the ball is hit, until you field it. That's going to keep you in a good compact position the entire way, and you're going to get to the ball more comfortably, and you're going to be in position to field it very easily. But nobody teaches that stuff. You get on the internet and you watch all the stuff they teach. Oh, my God. Some of it is just, like I said before, it's all filler. They don't know what to teach. So they yeah. make up stuff. Uh, I agree. You know, a lot of good infield coaches have guys on their knees. And I just, to me, I never did that and never will do it. I just don't like it because you, your feet take you to the ball. Exactly. You, your knees, you, now you end up leaning this way, leaning that way. And that's what leads to hard hands. I mean, if you feel the ball off your right foot, I mean, left-handed and right-handed thrower, you feel the ball off your right foot because your feet are slow and you're going to have hard hands. You're going to bobble a lot. Yep. Whereas you got to take, you know, basically just left to center for your right-handed thrower where your hands can move left to right a little bit. Another thing, what do you think about this alligator thing, whatever they do? I hate you know, it. Got the, I hate it. I <laughs> Jimmy Williams came to me one day. Jimmy is a great infield guy. Because, first of all, when you have the alligator hands, one above the other, where are your elbows? They're locked into your body. So you're not flexible. You're not relaxed. Have your hands, and this is part of the book that I'm, I'm putting together right now. I have open book, open book hands or the alligator hands. If your hands are like an open book, your elbows are relaxed, your hands are relaxed, you can maneuver a lot easier, ball takes a bad hop, you're able to block it, knock it down, do something with it. You know, when you have those alligator hands, a lot of balls taking a bad hop, they're going to bang right off your fingers. Boom, right away you got to, you know, the end of your fingers bleeding like crazy just because of, of doing that. Doesn't make sense again. It's not an athletic position. That's what they teach. I know. They teach. I, like Jimmy Williams, when he was with, you know, managing Red Sox, I was director of player development. And him and I got along really good. We talked baseball all the time. And he comes to me one day, he says, Shape, what, what is this? What is a guy catching a ball with his and you know, throwing hand above the glove. I said, I don't know where the hell it started. I said, I think it started with some college guy put a board on a guy's hands to make his hand softer, and you got to chop the ball on the board with his throwing hand. Yeah. That's the only thing I can think of. But you know, a lot of infields feel it that way, but it's not an athletic position. I mean, no. you can't move your hands like they can if you had your hands side by side, like you said, like an open book. You can go either way, but your hands on top of the other hand, you can't move. You're locked in, and it's stupid. But and I, I I spend some time too with gloves because I don't think I don't think players really look at their gloves good enough to decide what they should be using. Now the outfielders are the ones that really make have problems with their gloves. And if you watch games carefully, you can see mistakes that are made, balls that are missed in the outfield, simply because of the glove that is being used. 
there's a lot of movement that is involved in that also. But infielders, I don't think, and I talk to my infielders all the time about the gloves that they use. They thought I was crazy. Why, why are you asking me about my glove? My glove stayed with me. It was, it was my pride and joy. You weren't going to pry it out of my hands. And when I found the model glove that I wanted to use, that was it. Nobody was going to touch it. What kind of questions would you ask your fielders about their glove? The what? What kind of questions would you ask your fielders? What, what, what kind of things would you want them to think about when they were deciding on a glove? Well, they need to get a glove, first of all, that they can handle. With all the manufacturers that you have out there now, there's just so so many of them. So many of them are, are hard as rocks because the leather's so good, so hard. You want the best leather that you can find. And usually the stiffest glove is probably the best leather. But different manufacturers, um, or rather within the same manufacturers, they're going to have different quality of leather. So you got to be careful what you're doing. The gloves that I used to pick out, I used to use a, a Rawlings XPGS model. They would bring a bag full of those to spring training. Well, some of the leather was like vinyl. And I would have to dig through the bag till I found the glove that really had the leather that I could then manipulate the glove and form it the way I wanted, wanted to. But the glove's got to be the right size. It can't be too heavy. can't be too big. It's got to, I think it should be one that you could put your fingers into each of the finger stalls. You know, everybody now has an index finger out or they're putting a couple of fingers in the little finger stall. You know, why? Because it hurts your hands. Well, but you don't have control of the glove that way. I mean, if you can't take a little bit of a sting, come on. Why are you even playing the game? I mean, you want to control the ball. You want to be able to feel the ball. And especially if you're going to feel the ball with two hands, you've got to have control of that glove. So you've got to have all your you've got to have your hand inserted into that glove the right way so that you're controlling all the fingers. There's a pocket in your glove. There's a certain spot in your glove that that ball should hit every single time. I don't care whether you're catching a throw, catching a pop up, fielding a, a routine ground ball, backhanding the ball, or going up the middle maybe or to your left if you're right-handed infielder and fielding the ball. That ball's going to hit that. Same spot in that glove every single time. When you can get to that point, you should be a pretty decent fielder. Now, I don't know how many guys do that, but, you know, I tried to preach that, you know. Who took it to heart? I don't know. Well, I agree with you. I mean, I, I was a middle infielder, and uh, I think a lot of middle infielders use a glove that's too large. Yeah. Now, in other words, when you catch the ball, then you got to throw it. So in order to throw it, you got to grab it. And if the yeah. glove's too big, hit your fingers, something like that, you can't grab the ball cleanly. And uh, you know, I was the kind of guy that had quick release because I didn't have a great arm, but I get to the ball quick. So I used a kind of a flatter glove, you know, move my fingers toward me rather than, you know, or make a, right. Right. Make a long thing. It just, but I needed, I wanted a small glove. And uh, so, like I said, it's not one thing about catching it, but the next thing about throwing it. So if you got a big glove and you can't grab it right away, you, you know, hit the side of the glove or don't, you know, you don't know where the ball is, but, to me, a good infielder, you watch an infielder, you see an infielder catch the ball in a pocket every time, you know, he's got great hands and great yeah. feet to get his hands there. Other guys catching a web, catch it, you know, off the top of the fingers, you know, they're in trouble. <laughs> I think they should just be able to stop the ball. That's the way I, I used a very flat open glove. Yeah, and I did too. Actually, the reason that I used that glove is because I saw Tommy Helms use it in my first professional season. 
I was using a Spalding glove that was broken in like the Latin players do, which is lengthwise. Well, it wasn't working for me, and I didn't. I know I wanted something else, but until I saw Tommy Helms use this wide open flat glove, I said, "Oh my God, that's exactly what I need." And that's how I I used that for the rest of my career. You know, it's it's difficult because you got to learn how to manipulate your hands. Because basically, I'm just stopping the ball and grabbing it right away. But once you get to manipulate your hands the way you should, you become a pretty decent infielder. You know, when you try to catch the ball, that even, I think, makes it difficult for you to move around like you're talking, moving your feet, Bob. You know, if you got a glove where you can just catch the ball, I think sometimes you're going to wind up just reaching out for the ball because you know you can get to it. But that's not what you're after. That's not what you want to learn. No. Well, I told infielders, you know, it's one thing to catch it, but another thing to make the guy out, put the guy out. So in other words, you got to catch it and get rid of it quick. Exactly. And if you got a big glove, you might catch more things with a big glove than a small glove, but now you got to go get it somewhere. You got to find it once you catch it in a big glove. And exactly. infielders need, middle guys need smaller gloves. And uh, I don't know, I had arguments with other infield coaches about that, but to me, I use, like I said, a small flat glove. And when I caught it, I knew exactly where it was. Yep. Yep. And so you, you guys are saying, just so our audience knows too, and it's it's a great point. As an infielder, especially a middle guy, you're rarely catching the ball. You're stopping the ball. You're fielding the ball. There's a big difference between the two. And if you if you look at your glove and that little that little palm area, if that's the dirty part, then you're probably doing the right things. If it's yep. all over the place, nicked down the pinky or the webbing or or whatnot. Um, am I what, what size glove? And I I uh, as I got older, my gloves got smaller. Um, and as I got better, I think as a, as a minor league player, I used a, I, I was using a 10 and three quarters, um, in my last one. Now, now as an adult, I still try to use that, but, uh, gets me a little nervous when I'm 50 right now, that ball doesn't hop the way I remember. So I've gone up to 11 and a quarter or an 11 with uh, my heart of the hide that I used when then. I picked, when I picked out my glove, I think back then, I mean, this is 1961 we're talking about. Okay. They didn't have sizes. They just had gloves, you know? So I'm looking through the gloves that they're bringing to spring training, and I'm finding a glove that is the size that I want. You know, I didn't want it to be too big. They want it to be too small. And luckily, this XPGS model that I used was, was right on. Now, what size is it? I have no idea. I couldn't tell you. It's probably at least 11 inch. But yeah. the way it's broken in, it's broken in horizontally, not vertically. Right. So it's a little bit different, you know. So, you know... These guys now, everybody's going to inches, you know, what size glove? It's not the size of the glove. It's what you can do with it. You know, what do you need? What do you need it for? How do you want to field it? What kind of an infielder do you want to be? That's going to dictate the kind of glove that you use. I use a Wilson gloves and uh, yeah, the popular Wilson was a, it was a 2000, but I use an a 2005, I think it was, which is smaller yeah. infielder's glove. Yep. Yep. Very good glove. A very good glove. Yeah. Still, how, some, how of you guys main, some of the mainstays, you know, they're still around, but, you know, now they're making gloves where they bend the thumb out. Why are you bending the thumb out? Oh, I hate that. I hate what that. What the heck is that for? I don't get it. You know, catcher's gloves, a different model of catcher's gloves. You know, they're making them all one-handed fielders. They're perpetuating the problems. God, catcher's I mean, umpires are getting beat up now because catchers can't even catch the ball that's down the middle sometimes. It gets right by them, you know, and the umpires are taking a beating. It's just, it's a shame what's going on, but uh, I don't know. 
Yeah. What did you guys use on your gloves to care for them? Spit. I only put saddle soap on mine. I, you know, when I was young and like I say, back in the fifties and sixties, neat foot oil was the thing to use. I didn't know anything else, but I always wound up just using saddle soap. All I did was clean the glove. You know, it kind of conditioned it a little bit, but it doesn't really, saddle soap doesn't really soften the glove. But I used, I like my glove to be a little stiff. So when my glove got too floppy, too flimsy, I always had another one ready to go. So I didn't really, I didn't really wear them out, you know, like that. But, uh, you know, I've, I've tried all kinds of things because I am a glove collector and I've got, you know, hundreds of gloves from the early 1900s, late, 18, late 1800s. And I've tried all kinds of different uh, liquids and glove conditioners. And I really don't find any that are any good. I, I, you know, I wind up sticking with the saddle soap more than anything. You know, Lexol and stuff like that. It's okay, but I don't like what it does to the glove. Yeah. Well, I was like you. I mean, a Wilson glove would get you know, real floppy at times. So I used to put it in, put it in water at night, let it dry out, and it would yeah. stiffen it up the next day. Yeah. But I basically put some Vaseline on it once in a while. But I, I didn't really use I mean, Lexol. I used some of that too, like leather conditioner. But I didn't really put a lot of stuff on a glove. But like I said, I put it in the you know sink, maybe even a toilet sometimes. Yeah. And I get yeah. the things stiffened up. If the glove, if the glove leather is good, you don't need to put anything on it. I don't think you know. It's going to be fine for you. You want to keep it clean and, you know, that's about all you should have to do with your glove, I think. Yep. I've tried them all too. Uh, shaving cream with lanolin. and you guys ever, that's good. when I was yeah, coming up. That's good. That's good. That's good. Yeah. That was uh, something that was passed on to me. I was fortunate enough to be around uh, upstate New York, had a lot of players for some reason that came through and I was a generation below. So they would let me work out with them and I'd always ask them tricks like that what do you guys use on your glove they used to joke too and say spit um but uh i know they had a little tobacco in that spit i wasn't allowed to do that <laughs> at that age but uh they would say that that was what they passed on shaving cream with lanolin it's like a 99 cents at the dollar store and it's a yeah. uh, barbasol that's what they used to get yeah yeah they don't put it on your face but put it on your glove that works good that works good yeah so, uh, Ted, I know you've got a new book coming. I We've kept you for over 40 minutes here. You want to share a little bit about the, the new children's uh, yeah, book? Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, it's, I'm, I'm calling it The Little Pro. Um, you know the book that I put out, the little manual kind of on how to peel the ground ball. That's a 52-page narrative on, on the process. The Little Pro is a book that I'm writing for boys and girls, youngsters, um, to give them instructions on every different maneuver or movement that has to be made that's important to fielding a ball. So the book encompasses about close to 100 different instructive texts. I've got stick figure drawings that I'm applying to about half of those texts. And those stick figure drawings actually are being being drawn by Jim Rakan, who is was a coach for me in Cleveland. He now works for the Chicago White Sox, and he's the hitting instructor in Winston-Salem. Jimmy is an unbelievable artist. I told him he ought to quit baseball and become an artist. He is that good. Anyway, he did the, he did the drawings for me. And I have a young lady up in Oregon who's doing the color work, and she actually did the, my logo for Old School MVP, the website that I have. You know, her name yeah. is uh, Shauna Clark. So 
both of them have been with me, you know, at least Sean has been with me through the three publications. And the little proto has a hundred different instructive texts. The text may be only half a page long, let's say, and then maybe I'll have a drawing on there. That's kind of a fun little caricature to kind of keep it fun for the kids, you know, looking through the book. But what I've done is I've broken down, like if I'm talking about moving laterally, I'm going to tell you how to move laterally. I'm going to tell you what to do with your feet, what you do with your head, what you do with your upper body. I'm going to teach you how to maneuver. Now, I have written the book using my own professional method because when I started thinking about dumbing it down for kids, I couldn't do it because I, wouldn't, I wasn't going to be able to get enough information to them the way I wanted it to. So mom and dad may have to help them. Mom and dad may have to sit down with them and go through it together. It shouldn't be that difficult to do, but I'm explaining things in depth. And I know from my own standpoint, I could look at an infield and I'll tell you right away what he's doing wrong. You know, I see it all the time. And like I mentioned before, broadcasters are going to tell you, oh, that ball shouldn't have been caught. It's so obvious to me why, why the play wasn't made. So anyway, the little pro, I'm hoping to have it out by May 1st. I've just started applying the drawings to the text, and I'm excited about it. Jimmy Rakan loves the book. Um, it's being put together, I think, in a way that's really different. I think it's going to be unique. It's the best of the three that I will have published. And I'm looking forward to seeing what happens with it. I'm going to probably see what I can do about getting it sold. And yep. push up we'll, we'll certainly help you with that if you need that. And you sent me some early I'll excerpts. Send me, I'll send you copies of it for sure. Oh, yeah. you know, I, they're on my bookshelf. Old school's on my, or uh, that's on my bookshelf as is how to field a ground ball. And um, I, I, I think I mentioned that to you as well. When you started doing the third book, my caution to you is, Part, part of your uh, allure, and I say this to Bob as well, you guys are smart baseball people. And to me, smart wins. And I don't think we should ever dumb down uh, for anybody. Make 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 them raise their levels. That was kind of my thoughts on your yeah, children's book. Don't dumb it down. Totally, yeah, I totally agree with that. I totally agree with that. You know, players today, you know, I said earlier that the players are in control of everything. Okay, maybe they are, maybe they're not. But they want to be told what to do. You know, I think every athlete is a little fragile. You know, everybody's a little paranoid. You know, you have some guys, I think, that maybe are really truly confident in themselves. And those are the guys that make the Hall of Fame. The rest of us just, we were nervous as hell probably on that field all the time. But yet we loved the game and we played it to did the best we could. But I think, you know, everybody has to, has to do the best they can in the best way they can. So it's just a tough game to play, but man, is it fun. Oh, yeah. But the thing, too, Ted, it's like uh, these coaches, you know, it drives me crazy to see an infield outfield pull the thing out of his back pocket to see where he's going to play this guy. Yeah. I mean, when I played shortstop, the fun part of the game was to kind of read a swing and slide where you think he's going to hit it. Right. And when I had my last couple of years coaching, we went and we had this inside edge, what it was, big charts and everything. And you know, we go, okay, this is where you want to start, but watch the game, make an adjustment. If you see the pitcher can't get the ball cross corner, you're going to get the ball inside and slide over. If you see the, the hitter hooking the ball, slide over. But yeah. the fun part of the game is a game within a game, and it takes some of the fun away because they, you know, kind of like uh, program all these guys to play here, play there, 
instead of watching the game and, and see what's going on. But well, they got to, to me, watch the game. They got to pull something out of their pocket now to tell them where to play. That's I mean, that drives me crazy. Take it out of your hat, you know. <laughs> Jesus. Like those guys really know where he's going to hit the ball, right? <laughs> the magic card. Well, uh, Shafe, how do you want to leave the audience today? What do you, what do you want to leave them with? We kept you guys but, for almost an hour. I think I appreciate Ted you coming on. It's good talking to you, and uh, I enjoyed it, Bob. You know, I enjoyed it. I'm glad Thank you're me. writing books. Hopefully, the right people read them and uh, not look at all the hocus pocus that's on uh, the internet. And it, the game's a common sense game. It's really is a tough game, but it's a simple game in a lot of ways. So I don't agree. make it too yeah. tough, and just I make agree. it simple. Yeah. So, but I enjoyed talking to you. I appreciate you coming on, and uh, we'll go from there. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Nice meeting you, and good to talk to you, Dave. Do it again. Yeah, sounds good. We'll, we'll support that book. Hang on with me for a second here while we uh, close out the show and we'll sync up the voices. And uh, But uh, to our audience, almost 70,000, we appreciate you guys. Uh, thanks for your support. Make sure you guys, when you're listening to the show, support Millions, support Jaw Bats, uh, the Kinetic Arm, one-on-one uh, College Pathways, and also Monet. Our guests on here are great baseball people. Whatever projects they're working on, Ted, it's two great books that I recommend. I, I pushed them out at Christmas time, but this new book, The Little Pro, will be out in May 1st, hopefully. Make sure that uh, our audience is supporting that because you're just going to get smarter reading it. And I like the fact that parents may have to help their kids because they need to become the first educators rather than paying 150 bucks an hour for some knucklehead to teach their kid how to field a ground ball 11 different ways. So um, Ted, Ted's the guy to go to on that. And Bob and I are working on his manual right now, which uh, – is equally good and I've enjoyed going through it. And so that hopefully will be out in the spring as well. Uh, but to our, our audience here, we got episode 473 in the books right now. Touch them all with Bob Schaefer, special guest, Ted Kubiak. We'll be back next week with you guys and guys, thanks so much for a great show. Feels it's good getting used. Oh, you just keep on using me.